As we prepare for the message this morning, I'm going to ask that you stand as I read this morning's text from Mark chapter 4. And once again, Jesus began teaching by the lakeshore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. And he taught them by telling many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun. And since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. And still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted and grew and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. And then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. And this is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. One seed in the darkness reaching for the light. One hand stretched to heaven reaching out over the night. One voice is calling to let your heart arise. One chance at surrender for the thousandth time. Are you ready? Are you listening? Do you want living water or a heart of stone? Are you ready? See what love has done. Do you want living water? One way to go deeper, one spring to be found. One small new beginning, come up out of the ground. Come up out of the ground. And are you ready? Are you listening? Do you want living water or a heart of stone? Are you ready? See what love has done. Do you want living water or a heart of stone? My heart was an empty grave, but he rolled my stone away.
Kids can be dismissed at this time. There's programming down the hall for them. And uh, there are a lot of times that we will gather together and Daniel will roll out a new song for us. And some, some of us may know it and some of us may not. That song, nobody knew because Daniel wrote it this week. Isn't that amazing? And uh, so I'm appreciative of that. that. That's super cool. And I hope we sing that again. Good one. Uh, there are three friends, and they decide to go deer hunting together, a lawyer, a doctor, and a preacher. And they are walking along, and along comes a big buck, and so the three of them shot together immediately, and immediately the buck drops to the ground, and all three rush up to see how big it actually was. And when they get there, they really couldn't determine who had actually killed the deer. And there was a heated debate that ensued, and a few minutes later, the game warden came by and asked what the problem was, and the doctor said, well, we're debating who shot the buck. The officer looked at the deer and immediately said, the preacher shot the, the buck. They all looked at him like, how can you know that so quickly? He said, well, look, it's easy. The bullet went in one ear and out the other. Preacher. There's a phrase in the text today that Jesus uses over and over, and it goes this way. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And in our section of the Gospel of Mark today that we are getting to, uh, we're going through the, the Gospel of Mark. We're just rolling right through it. We'll conclude on Easter Sunday with chapter 16. And um, this is the first time in the book of Mark in chapter 4 that we get actually some of Jesus' teaching. Uh, Mark throws out some selected, that's what he tells us, parables of Jesus. There were lots more of them, but to suit his purposes for the people he was writing to, Mark selected these few parables and shared them with us here in chapter 4. And a parable is a word that is made up of two different Greek words. Number one, para, which means alongside, and balo, which means to throw, okay? And so a parable is literally a truth that is thrown alongside something else. And so Jesus would have a truth that he would want to get across to the people. And so he would take circumstances from everyday situations and he would throw them alongside this truth. And he would communicate in story form to the people the truth that he wanted to share. And so uh, a parable is an extended metaphor comparing spiritual truth to something from the listener's everyday world. We could say it this way, that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. C.W. Manson says this, that a parable shows us what kind of God we must believe in and what kind of persons we must be. Now, if we're talking about parables and we're studying chapter 4, there are some really cryptic verses that happen in 10, 11, and 12, and they throw us off a little. Here's, here's how they go. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him 
about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but to those outside, everything is spoken in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and they may indeed hear, but not understand, and lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now, on first reading, that's weird. That kind of sounds like we don't really want people to, be, to turn and be forgiven. It kind of leaves us with this idea that parables are designed as a wall to keep people out of the kingdom. But I don't think that's the case. Because Jesus, just a few verses from these, will use a lamp as a parable. And he'll talk about the truth of the gospel. He'll say that it's crazy to light a lamp and then put it under a bowl or under a bed or something like that. And just like that, no one hides the truth. And so Jesus, I don't think, is making it hard for people to come to him. What he's doing is he's shining a lamp on everyone so that whoever wants to know him can come and know him. Whoever wants to step into the light, we could say, can. So this, when we ask this question, why parables? Jesus says, some people don't perceive and they don't understand. And here's what I think he means, because they don't want to. Some people are out of the kingdom because they choose to be out of the kingdom. And a great way to frame that up in your mind, because this is literally one of the most difficult passages in the New Testament, 10, 11, and 12, these verses. A great way to frame this up is not to think this is a mystery that can't be solved. Don't think that. This is not an escape room we're trying to get out of. That's not what a parable is. But instead, a parable is about initiated people versus uninitiated people. And to those who are initiated in Jesus' message, the parables are life-giving, they're, they're instructive, they are beautiful, but to those who are uninitiated in Jesus or his message, they're just stories. They had no reason to dig deeper to the spiritual truth embedded within these simple stories. Now, there's a great way to frame that up in a modern way, um, and for some of you who are familiar with Gift Wars, and Sorry About Your Hot Dog, uh, this is one of those modern parables, okay? Do we have any Chiefs fans in the room? Yes. All right. <laughs> there it is. All right. Sorry about your hot dogs. Now, there is so much going on in that video. If you are initiated, you got every, every bit of it. You understand why he threw it, the, we're throwing hot dogs. You understand uh, why we're sorry about hot dogs. You understand what's going on there. To the uninitiated Raiders fans, um, you don't care, right? And so you have no idea what's going on and you don't want to know what's going on because you don't know what the playoffs are like. That's just kind of how it's, how it's going for you. Uh, here's, here's another modern parable uh, concerning the same thing. I saw this. This has already been made into a t-shirt. It's believe. And then the line below it is, when it's grim, be the grim reaper. Now, for those of us who are initiated, we know what we're looking at, right? We know about the Chiefs game. We know about 13 seconds. 
We know about the press conference afterwards, and even a deeper meeting here, we know about Ted Lasso, okay? And that's, that's all wrapped up in that. To the initiated, you know what's going on. To the uninitiated, you don't. And that's what's going on when Jesus uses parables. He uses these innocuous earthly stories with a deep spiritual truth, and parables were stories with cloaked meaning. And the reason is that Jesus was preaching a message that was so explosive that if he did it word for word, if he just came out and said what he was trying to say, there's no doubt he would have been killed. There was already a plot to take his life. We already know that from from Mark already. And so he speaks in parables. And so a parable is more than an illustration. It's a test. It's a test. Anybody that wants to know Jesus can know him. The ones who are against Jesus and don't want to know, they won't. Jesus is a fan of self-selection, and he still is. One's heart towards Jesus determines whether they will be an initiated person or remain uninitiated. And that's a beautiful segue into the first parable, which is the parable of the sower. And we read this parable, uh, uh, we read it earlier, um, and a guy goes sowing out seed, and the seed lands all over the place, right? And the only uh, seed that does anything is the seed that lands on the good soil. There's this group that wants to know what all of this means. And so they come to Jesus. It is first and foremost his disciple, uh, disciples, and, uh, but also a, a group probably bigger than that. And they come to Jesus and say, uh, that story you told, we... We don't get it. We're not really sure that we're following. We have no idea. Would you tell us plainly what you meant? And Jesus says, all right, listen up. And we are fortunate that we have Mark giving us Jesus's explanation of the story. And uh, the explanation of the story is what we did not read. We'll stick there starting at verse uh, 13. The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the, the, where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy, but they have no root in themselves. They endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and they choke it out and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and even 100-fold. And so here's what we learn immediately when Jesus explains this story, that the seed from the story becomes the word, the word. The word is Jesus's message that he's preaching. And in different places, uh, the words land are the people who are listening to Jesus's message. Some people are hard like the path. They don't hear it at all. Some people hear the message, but only for a little while. Uh, They're like a seed planted in rocky soil that can't develop roots. And some people hear and they accept the message, but things in the world choke that message out like thorns choke out a crop. And some people then 
hear and they accept the message and it produces fruit for a harvest in their life. They're like the perfect soil that you would want to plant in. Now, parables are not really meant to be uh, studied. They're meant to be listened to. You got to put yourself in the shoes of those people that would have heard this story for the first time. And if we could hear it as they heard it, they would have come away with just probably one big idea that came to their mind, the point that Jesus was trying to make and make. And so if we step into their shoes and we, we just think about what's the big idea that Jesus is trying to get across with this story, we could probably could, could, could come up with something like this, a harvest in our lives depends on the condition of the soil where the seed falls. That's very simple, right? A harvest depends on the condition of the soil where the seed falls. Uh, there's a couple farmers in um, South Dakota, uh, a couple, and uh, this is Dennis and Jean, and they put out a video because they've engaged in some farming practices that are kind of innovative, um, and have changed the way they grow crops. They explain uh, cover crops and no-till practices that they've employed. And um, I'm not, I, I don't pretend to understand all of that, but here's, here's one line that happens in this video. Gene says, when you start doing this and farming in this different way, you start to see yield differences because your ground is doing what it's supposed to be doing. Let me say that again. You start to see yield differences in your crops because your ground is doing what it's supposed to be doing. Now, I'm not a farmer. I can't claim to be a farmer, but I suspect that there is a universal truth when it comes to farming, and it's this, that the soil you have can only do what it's supposed to do. The soil you've got can only do what it's supposed to do. In Jesus' agricultural society, farmers would walk across their field with a sack of seed over their shoulder, and they would grab handfuls of that seed, and they would begin to cast it on the ground. It's a very common picture in Palestine, and it's the reason that Jesus picks this picture up, and he uses it in this story. And it may not fit with our gardening practices, right? But the sowers in Jesus' day were not particularly concerned about where their seed ended up. What we do, even in our backyards, is we plow before we plant. And so we know the kind of soil we're working with, so we know where to put the seed. In Jesus' day, they often plowed after they planted. And so the hard soil might eventually become fertile soil after the plowing, and the rocky soil may not be visible when we're sowing. And uh, that would only become apparent after the soil had been turned. And so regardless of when they plowed, a farmer could afford to be generous with his seed. It's the law of sowing and reaping. Galatians says you reap what you sow. And that means you will only reap what you sow. So the more seed you sow, the bigger your crop might be. And so a farmer knows that he's going to lose some seed on the edges of his field and in the rocky ground, but that's worth a handful of seed to make sure every inch of ground is covered. And so the farmer goes out 
and sows. And Jesus gives us four different types of soil where the seed might find its landing spot. And they each represent a different condition of the human heart. First is the path. Uh, the farmer's field in ancient Palestine was often along narrow strips, even sometimes serpentine strips. And they were divided by little paths that became beaten down and hard as pavement by the feet that walked across them and the hooves and the wheels of those who used them. And so the ground along the path is impenetrable. Any seed that lands there just does not have a chance. And then we add to the explanation that Jesus says there are birds in the story, right? And he says the birds are like Satan himself who comes along and snatches away the word of God or the seeds from the people who have the hard hearts in the first place. And the end result is that they never listen to the message that could save them. And hearts that are like the path have trouble with busyness and distraction. There's a book, uh, The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, and it's about a fictitious account uh, of demons who are doing their job as they are assigned to humans, okay? And he writes about one demon who is in charge of a man who happens to be at the British Museum, and he's reading. And in his reading, there's a passage that suggests a train of thought that sets him on a path of spiritual inquiry. He's kind of opening himself up to the idea of spiritual life. But the demon intervenes by making the man terribly hungry for lunch. And C.S. Lewis writes it this way. Once he was in the street, the battle was won. I showed him a newsboy shouting the midday paper and a number 73 bus going past. And before he reached the bottom of the steps, I had got him into an unalterable conviction that whatever odd ideas might come into a man's head when he was shut up alone with his books, a healthy dose of real life, by which he meant the bus and the newsboy, was enough to show him that that sort of thing just could not be true. What is that? That's Satan snatching away the word by hardening people's hearts with presuppositions, but with distortions, with prejudices which divert them from the truth of Christ. Some people in this boat are hostile, but very often they are just simply uninterested and God's truth has no relevancy for them. There's a second uh, soil and it's the rocks or the shallow soil. If we go to Luke's version of the parable, there's the soil with no moisture. That's the way Luke puts it. But if you know a little bit about gardening, you'll realize that there's really practically no difference between no moisture and shallow because it's the same thing. In Palestine, much of the land is just a veneer of soil over a limestone bedrock. That kind of sounds like Bourbon County, does it not? Yeah. So, so the rock makes the soil shallow, and so it doesn't hold moisture, and a seed might be able to sprout, but it can't survive the hot sun. And so hearts that are like the rocky soil wilt in the face of troubles and persecutions. That's what Jesus says. And I want you to notice in these first two soils that Mark uses his favorite word yet again. What is his favorite word? Anybody know? Immediately. That's his favorite word. And he says, on the path, Satan immediately takes the seed. And on the rocks, people immediately 
fall away when the tough times come because there's no root. These are flash-in-the-pan people. They are quick to receive the word, but they are just as quick to abandon it when it becomes a disadvantage for them. Here's the third soil, the thorns. What Jesus is describing here is soil where the thorn bushes on the surface have been burned away or cut away, but their roots below the surface are still intact. And so the seed is sown and the soil is watered and the seed germinates, but at the very same time, those roots that are left, the thorn roots also sprout and grow and the thorns and the weeds then grow together with the crop and the thorns grow faster than the crop does and they choke it out before it can produce any fruit. And hearts like this are divided and dismantled. Jesus says that the things that distract people like this are the cares of the world or the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things. And so when people hear and receive the word, there will always be competition. Maybe there's a gesture towards Christ, but they're then also pulled in all kinds of other directions that leave no room for spiritual concerns. If there's anything that plagues our culture, it's probably this, the thorny soil. They're, they're like the heart of the girl that was being proposed to, her fiancé, set her down and got down on a knee and said, I want you to know that I love you more than anything else in this world. Would you marry me? I'm not rich. I don't have a yacht or a Lambo or a beach house like John Smith does, but I love you with all my heart. Will you marry me? And she thought for a second and she said, you know what? I love you with all my heart too, but tell me more about this John Smith guy. That's thorny soil, right? No one wants to be with somebody that's distracted all the time. Here's the fourth soil, the good. The good soil has every condition that the seed needs. And Jesus says, this is the soil that produces a harvest. The seed doesn't bounce off of this soil. The seed doesn't flourish momentarily and then shrivel under adversity. The seed isn't divided by competing interests and strangled. It has everything that it needs to grow. And so hearts like the good soils allow the word of God to be driven deep and to take root. The good soil produces a harvest of character. And what we're talking about in the New Testament, the spiritual application of this is the, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what it produces. And then it produces a harvest of good works that come out of those things. And so Jesus tells us what makes good soil here. It's this, hearing the word, accepting the word, and acting on the word. And when we do, the harvest is huge in our life, 30 times, 60 times even a hundred times. Let's go back to South Dakota. And what did Jean say? She said this, you start to see the yield differences because your ground is doing what it's supposed to be doing. And here's the truth we pulled out of that, that the soil you've got can only do what it's supposed to do. Soil is soil. In fact, 
a lot of different things can make up soil. Uh, in another life that I had once upon a time, I actually had some bonsai trees. I had lots of them. I learned a lot about bonsai trees, but I killed all the trees, okay? But one thing that astounded me in my learning process is that you can grow a, a bonsai tree in about anything, in any medium. I mean, not me, I killed them all, but other people, right? Some people planted their trees in nothing but sphagnum moss. Some people planted their trees in nothing but broken pieces of clay pots. Some people, you could probably plant a tree in pieces of cardboard and have success. Again, not me, but maybe you could, right? And here's the difference in all of those mediums. And it's the same difference in the soils that Jesus is pointing us to. It's what you add to the soil that makes a difference. In the parable, all the soil is the same. The difference is what is added to it. In order to grow a little bonsai tree in moss or clay or pieces of cardboard, you can do that. You just have, the, have to add the nutrients to feed the tree, and then it will grow. At least that's what I'm told, right? Neglect to add the nutrients, that's what I did, uh, and it will not grow. The soil you have can only do what it's supposed to do. So here's the question. This is a spiritual story, right? Earthly story, heavenly meaning. When we receive God's word, what are we adding to it? That's the question. Are we adding the competition of weeds? Are we adding a few rock-like worries and anxieties? Are we adding a good trampling, packing down the, our hearts so that nothing ever gets in? Are we adding to the message of God? What are we adding when it lands on our heart? When you look at the surrounding context of this parable, there are different groups of people who fit exactly the kind of soils that Jesus talks about. And it's probably not a coincidence here. Three of the four soils reject the power of the seed that is planted in them. And they are the groups of people that are only interested in what they can get out of Jesus. And I think Mark intends for us to see this, that when he comes to the path, these are people who get nothing out of the seed and, and the, the word is taken quickly by Satan. That sounds suspiciously to me like the response of the scribes and Pharisees and the religious leaders so far in Jesus' ministry. They're adding to the message doubt and distrust and rejection. How about the rocks? These are people that get something out of the message but then leave just as fast, right? That sounds like the people who are following Jesus just to see a miracle. The crowds who are happy with Jesus as long as there is a miracle, but the minute there isn't, we're going home, Jesus. And they're adding distraction. How about the thorns? These are people who get a lot out of the message, right? But they're also worried about what they get from the world. They're worried about approval. They're worried about their status. Could that be Jesus' family? We talked about this last week. They are upset at what Jesus is doing. Why? Because it's diminishing them. They love Jesus, but his message is competing with their status in the world and their approval, and they're losing face with others. He's bringing them shame, and they're adding division to his message. Jesus, we love you, but tell us again what the world can do for us. His family. There's only one group that cuts through all of this and is good soil. 
There's only one group with a heart that says, let me have ears to hear and a heart to accept and hands and feet to act. Let the word that can save my soul be implanted in me so that there's a hundred times harvest that can happen in my life. And that one group is the disciples of Jesus. Are you today a disciple of Jesus? It just means, just means follower. Incredible things happen when a seed is given all the right conditions for it to unleash its power. G. Campbell Morgan tells a story of being in Italy, and he's a preacher from generations ago. But he went to a graveyard while he was in Italy, and this was kind of a tourist attraction because there was one very, very old grave. It was centuries old, and it was uh, maybe the grave of a king or some wealthy man, and there was this enormous, incredibly thick slab of marble that was put over the grave. It was huge, and it was thick, but somewhere along the way, an acorn had fallen into the grave. And over the years, somehow this acorn had sprouted and grown up and found a way out of one side, and then it got bigger and bigger. It took hundreds of years. It took centuries, but eventually this little acorn became this huge oak tree, and it actually cracked the marble slab and rolled it off into two pieces. That's the power of a seed. Give a seed a chance to release that power, and it can do a, something that a team of horses cannot even do. The way we end today is to focus on the word. The word. I, to, I told you that Jesus uses this term, the word, and he uses it eight times in his interpretation. And in his explanation, the seed is the word. The seed is the message of Jesus. But you and I, I also know that word means something else, right? If you look in John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the word. And what was the word? It was with God, and it was God. And so if the seed is the word, and the word is Jesus, then the seed is Jesus himself. I want you to think about a seed that you're seeing behind me. At the same time that it has great potential, it's also one of the weakest things imaginable. An acorn has this incredible potential to literally cover the entire globe with wood. And yet, at the very same time, you throw that acorn on a marble slab, it can't do anything. Throw that acorn on the ground and press with your heel a little pressure on top of it and it's gone forever. A seed only releases its power when it falls into the earth and dies. The seed is Jesus. In John chapter 12, Jesus is talking about his own death and he says the exact same thing. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus is the word, the seed that falls into the ground and dies. And so this isn't a parable uh, just about how people respond to the message. It's a parable about how Jesus res uh, people respond to Jesus himself 
who died so that there might be a harvest of souls in eternity. The seed can only do what the soil allows it to do. Jesus cannot save you if you do not let him. And so if parables are only supposed to have one point, then here it is. If the seed can only do what the soil allows it to do, then what kind of soil am I? What kind of soil am I to the seed that will die for me and bring me life? Am I somebody like the path and say, yeah, 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 I hear, hear the, heard the Jesus thing. I'm not sure I buy all that. Am I like the rocks? You know what? As long as Jesus is useful to me, we're good. Am I like the thorns? Jesus, I love you. Just don't take too much of my life. I've got some other things going on. Or are we good soil that says, let me have ears to hear. Let me have a heart to accept. Let me have hands and feet to act. Let me drive this seed deep down into my life so that at every opportunity, Jesus can produce a harvest in me. Henry Nouwen said this, that when we learn to listen, our lives become obedient lives. I want to add to that just a little twist. I would add, when we learn to listen, our lives become supernaturally productive lives. Because the passage ends on this kind of triumphal note. Three out of the four soils resist the power of the world, but the last one, the last one receives the power of the word and it produces 30 or 60 or 100 fold times. That's supernatural. Agriculture usually doesn't produce that kind of yield. Why? Because Jesus is saying it's supernatural. If you let this seed in to your life, supernatural things will begin to happen in your life. And another way to say that is that it doesn't matter what kind of marble slab is over the heart of your life. It doesn't matter what kind of addiction you walked in with. It doesn't matter what kind of fear you walked in with. It doesn't matter what kind of alienation. It doesn't matter what kind of broken self-image you have. It doesn't matter what anybody has ever done to you. It doesn't matter how messed up you are on the inside. None of that matters if you bring the word in to your life. It has the power, eventually, to crack that slab, to roll it off of your heart, to split it in two. Let the word of Jesus into your life. Hear the word, accept the word, act on the word, and watch supernatural things happen.